series over the past little while called Uncertain as we've been uh, as we've been exploring some of the major questions that people might have about the Christian faith and trying to understand uh, the Christian faith. And throughout this series over the past little while, we've been looking at questions such as uh, what about other religions of, uh, or whether or not we can trust the Bible, whether science has buried God, how a loving God could allow evil or, and, uh, and why Jesus needed to die. Um, and if you're here for the very first time and, uh, and wanting to understand why we might go through a series like we have been going through over the past little while, well, there's a, uh, a very specific reason in, the, in Scripture uh, of why we are be- have been going through a series answering some of these core questions. Because in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that is what we want to be able to do. We want to be able to give people reasons for the hope that we have. We don't believe in Jesus and what we see in Scripture just because we choose to or just because it makes us feel good on the inside, but because we genuinely believe that what we see throughout Scripture, particularly the narrative around Jesus, is true. Now, all of these different questions that we've answered uh, have been important questions for us to wrestle with and, uh, and be able to, to look at. Um, but there is one important question that we haven't looked at yet, and possibly what I would say is the most important question for us to, uh, to look at in our time together this morning. And the reason that this is the most important question is because the entire Christian faith hangs off whether the answer to this question is a yes. And the question that we are going to be looking at is this one. Did Jesus rise from the dead? This is the most important question that any person in the world, either Christian or non-Christian, is able to ask and have answered. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith has no foundation we're worshipping a dead person. There is no point in coming here for Easter. There's no point in having Sunday services. There is no church if the answer to this question isn't a resounding yes, Jesus did rise from the dead. There are many questions that people might have about the Christian faith that don't actually matter until we have this question answered. So did the flood happen? Did Jesus perform miracles? Was there a virgin birth? What about creation? Did the Israelites really cross the Red Sea? If you're here for the first time or joining with us online and you don't usually come to, uh, to church or you're questioning uh, the Christian faith uh, a little bit, uh, some of these might be the questions that you have uh, when you come to the Bible. And yet I would say the question that you have to have answered before any of those is this one. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, his life means nothing. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, it changes everything. 
And this is a strong argument that the Apostle Paul makes in one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, which is 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this. So if you do have a Bible, uh, open up to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 28. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up there on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 28, which says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and, which, uh, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I just want to take a brief um, pause there for the moment. These first few verses, particularly from verses 3 uh, to around about verse 7, uh, these first few verses are very, very different to the rest of Paul's writings, because these verses uh, are a creed that was recited regularly by the early church. And this was recited as, uh, as early as even a few months after Jesus rose again from the dead. So people were reciting these words, this creed, uh, possibly within months after the death and resurrection of Jesus. This means that very soon after the resurrection of Jesus, this message was going forth and, uh, and spreading across the world. Pick up from verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, really important. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That's what I was saying before. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, there is no point in any of the rest of the Christian faith. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Very depressing point if we stop right there. Because in verse 20, he brings us joy because he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For is Adam, in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits then, where, uh, when he comes to those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put uh, everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. The argument that Paul makes here, and that's, this is what he's doing, he's building a, uh, a case as he makes his way through this first part of 1 Corinthians 15. He's making a case that uh, if we have lived our life believing in the resurrection of Jesus, and it turns out that at the end of all things, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we of all people, in his language, are most to be pitied. Now, we, uh, we might be inclined towards having the attitude of, if I get to the end of my life and I've believed in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus this whole time, and then there's this split moment before I die where I realise, oh, it wasn't true, it doesn't really matter because I've lived a good life. Paul thinks very, very differently He says that we are, of all men, most to be pitied. We have been deceived if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and it's not true. And yet, Paul strongly believes in the resurrection of Christ. There is a key verse in there, verse 20, where he starts with, but Jesus did rise again from the faith. Paul is using this argument over these first 28 verses to say that the resurrection of Christ is the string that holds up the whole rest of the Christian faith. We're going to use uh, an illustration because I was born in the 90s and this will help me uh, communicate to any other 90s kids right now. I've said this a few weeks ago. This is a yo-yo on the screen right now. Who used yo-yos ever in their life? There's some people who were not born in the 90s who used yo-yos as well. You had a, uh, a very exciting adulthood. But I would say that this, the, the resurrection of Christ is like the string that holds up the whole rest of the Christian faith. If you cut that string, if you get rid of the resurrection of Christ, then everything else falls to the ground. That yo-yo suddenly becomes useless. There is no more Christian faith if you get rid of the resurrection of Christ, which is why this question is so important for every uh, person to answer. Did Jesus rise from the dead? This is not just an important question for those of us who call ourselves Christians. This is an important question for every single person to answer. And that's what we're going to be looking at 
throughout our time this morning. And the first thing that we're going to spend some time doing, this might require a, uh, you to use your, you put your thinking caps on throughout our time uh, this morning, but the first thing that we need to do is establish some historical evidence. What are some of the things that all uh, historical, credible historical scholars all agree on? And there's four facts that all credible historical scholars all agree on, and they're going to be up on the screen right now. This is the the historical evidence. So there is no doubt from scholars that there was a person called Jesus who existed, that he ticked off the Jewish authorities, and that he was crucified under the sentence of Pontius Pilate. It is a historical fact that there was some women, uh, as, uh, as Sarah read about earlier, who discovered Jesus' tomb was empty. It is a fact that Jesus' disciples believed that they saw the risen Jesus. And it is a fact as well that Saul of Tarsus converted to Christianity, we recognize him as Paul, after believing that he saw a vision of the risen Jesus. So, so all of these things are established and, uh, and understood by all uh, credible historical scholars. But as for the, re- uh, for the resurrection of Jesus... There are objections that people have to believing in the resurrection of Jesus, and there are arguments in support of Jesus' resurrection. And today we're going to look at five of the objections that people have to the resurrection of Jesus. These might be objections that you might have to the resurrection of Jesus. And we're also going to look at five supporting statements to the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to see how these stack up and whether our Christian faith crumbles, whether the string is cut, or whether it stacks up um, as truth. This first objection, the first objection that we're going to be looking at uh, to the resurrection is that the accounts of the resurrection in the New Testament are different. This is true. The accounts of the resurrection are different throughout all the the gospel accounts. In the uh, synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are uh, similarities between them, yet they're still different, but the gospel of John has a very different account of uh, of the resurrection of Jesus. And so does this mean, because the accounts are different, that the resurrection of Jesus cannot be true. Let's look at a different, um, uh, a different example to see uh, whether the, uh, the accounts, although they're different, could still be true. This morning, I, uh, I didn't drive to, to church this morning with my wife, Sarah, but we'll pretend for, uh, for just a minute that we did. Uh, and let's just look at these statements on the, uh, on the screen. If I did drive to uh, to church this morning with my wife, Sarah, and I wanted to tell you a little story about how that happened. Here's some things I might, uh, might describe to you. This morning, I hopped in my car and I came to church. Or I might tell you, this morning, I came to church with my wife. Or I might tell you, this morning, I had a conversation with my wife about Easter as we travelled. 
Now, none of these accounts of what I will be telling you about how I got here to church this morning will uh, contradict one another, and yet every single one of these accounts is different. And the reason that these accounts would be different is because of the focus of what I'm trying to say and the person that I might be speaking to, the audience. So in the first example, the focus is on how I came and where I came to. In the, in the second example, the focus is on who I came with. And on the, in the third example, the focus is on who I came with and what we spoke about. In the same way, the, particularly the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke... These are the types of differences that they have. There are not contradictory statements in any of them, but there are uh, different accounts based on uh, who their audience was and what their focus of their gospel accounts was. Now, John's gospel, as I said before, that is a very different account of the resurrection of Jesus. And so how do we account for the resurrection account put in the gospel of John? Once again, I would say that this is due to the purpose of why John was writing. John was writing an account not to try and say a linear explanation of history uh, of what happened throughout the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. The point of John's gospel was to write this grand cosmic account of helping people understand this is who Jesus was. He was the Word became flesh. So to ignore the resurrection based on differing accounts doesn't hold up. More than that, if each of these accounts was the same, this would have meant that uh, that there was collaboration between the writers, which detracts from the validity of the accounts. So there's one objection that some people uh, might have. They may say that the accounts are different, therefore Jesus could not have risen again from the dead. The second objection that some people might have is that the writings about Jesus are unreliable because they were written so long after Jesus rose again, uh, after Jesus was here on the earth. Now, this seems like a fairly uh, logical and reasonable objection to the resurrection of Jesus when we look at when the books of the New Testament were written. Um, 1 Corinthians, it was written in 55 AD. The Gospel of Mark, written in 70 AD. Gospel of Matthew, 80 AD. Gospel of Luke was 85 AD. And the Gospel of John was 95 AD. So all of these Gospel accounts were written a fairly long time after Jesus rose from the dead. So how can we possibly believe the accounts of what is written in here? This objection assumes that people um, communicated in exactly the same way that we communicate today. Today, uh, we, um, compared to most civilizations throughout history, our memories just aren't quite as good as, uh, as previous civilizations. I blame Netflix. We'll say it's uh, Netflix's fault. Because traditions throughout history had a strong oral tradition. People didn't typically write down information. They would share it by speaking to one another. By the age of 10, 
Jewish boys were able to recite the first five books of the Old Testament. That's massive. Like, that is a lot of words. Like, get to Leviticus and just try and read that is a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a slog to do. And these 10-year-old boys would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. So there was a strong oral tradition through ancient societies. And yet there are some writings that we see throughout, uh, throughout uh, history. So let's compare the writings of, about Jesus, the accounts of Jesus, to some of the writings about another major character throughout history. Let's take Alexander the Great, probably one of the most five, uh, one of the, the five most influential uh, figures throughout history. With Alexander the Great, um, the earliest historical sources for his life and the things that he did, we find about three centuries after his death. Now, in, uh, in teaching, we don't generally doubt what happened through Alexander the Great and the life that he had and the different territories that he, uh, that he took over and what he accomplished. And yet there are sources only, uh, found three centuries after his death. With the resurrection of Jesus and the life of Jesus, we have 11 historical sources within one century of Jesus' death. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the best sourced histories in all of ancient history. So to doubt the validity of the gospel accounts based on a time lapse is to doubt every single historical figure in the ancient world. So that's the second objection. The third objection that some people have is that the body of Jesus was stolen by his, uh, by his disciples. And this has been one of the most uh, used objections throughout history. This came about just after Jesus rose from the dead. In Matthew 28, 12 to 15, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This, uh, this assumption that the body of Jesus was stolen from the tomb assumes two different things. The first one is that the disciples were so capable and strong that they were able to move a one to two ton rock without the guards waking up. That's just not possible. These guards would have been camped right outside of the tomb and moving something like that would have been uh, around about as hard as moving the lid on the baptismal this morning. That is a very heavy thing to, to move. The second assumption that this makes, uh, possibly makes, is that the disciples were either well, uh, were, were well-armed, competent fighters who took out the guards. Once again, this is just highly unlikely. These were tradies. They had no military expertise and they had no weapons to be able to fight off these guards. And these guards would have been highly well-trained. So for the 
uh, body of Jesus to have been stolen and for none of the disciples to have died is extremely, extremely unlikely. These guards were trained to fight and kill. An untrained, unarmed Jewish tradesman didn't have a hope when coming against these guards. So that's the third objection that people have to the resurrection of, G, uh, of, the, uh, to the resurrection of Christ. The fourth objection is that Jesus didn't really die. He hung there on the cross, he had a spear put in him, but he still didn't die. Now, this is one of the most unusual objections that I see to the resurrection of Christ um, because the Romans were professional killers. They were very, very competent at crucifixion. The soldiers, as we see even in the Gospel accounts, they made sure that they did their job properly. In John 19, 34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And this flow of blood and water means that Jesus was dead. But not only was Jesus hung on the cross and crucified, which was an excruciating way to die, but beforehand he was also flogged. And on the screen right now, um, you'll see what is probably the place that Jesus had been flogged. This uh, location in Jerusalem was a, uh, a place that, uh, that many people who were going to be crucified were brought and flogged before being hung on the cross. This was a regular thing that happened to people who were going to be crucified. So to assume that Jesus didn't rise from the dead after being flogged terribly... And after hanging on the cross in excruciating pain and then being stabbed with a spear is, once again, extremely unlikely. The fifth objection that we'll be looking at, and the final objection that we'll look at today, is some have said that all of the disciples and all of the people who saw Jesus um, after he resurrected, they all had a hallucination. Firstly hallucinations are, well, actually, just let's just put it out there. Hallucinations just don't work like that. That's not how hallucinations work. Hallucinations are not typically new information. Um, no one had ever believed in a person rising from the dead before. And the other thing is that all of these people had the exact same hallucination. So if it was a hallucination and Jesus' body um, if it was a hallucination and, and Jesus' body had still been in the tomb, if I was the Jewish authorities and I wanted to disprove this, it would have been very, very easy because you would just roll the stone away and there would be Jesus. He would be there in the tomb. You could show people that he, had still, that he was still dead. So there's five of the major objections that some people have to the resurrection of Jesus. And now I just want to say really quickly some of the supporting reasons of why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. There are many more than this, but here's five reasons of why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus, he defied messianic expectations. He was so different to what people thought the Messiah was going to be. He came and lived a very normal life 
in, as a Galilean, and he grew and became a carpenter, and he spent three years teaching people about the kingdom of God. He spoke of blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, and this is so different to what people had understood the Messiah to be. They had understood that the Messiah was going to be an earthly king, and yet Jesus was unlike anything that anyone had ever expected. Second thing, the disciples' lives, they were radically changed. These men of little influence, these teenagers of little influence, John was probably fifth, John the youngest disciple was probably 15 years old when he spent time with Jesus. These teenagers, their lives were radically transformed. They left what they had done and these people of little influence suddenly became world changers. And the reason that they attribute it to is that they had seen Jesus in the flesh, that he had risen from the dead. Third thing is these disciples, they were willing to die for their faith. If they had known that the resurrection of Jesus was a lie, they would have gotten right to the end point before dying and said, no, I take it back. It's not true. The resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. Fourth thing, the details are embarrassing to the disciples. They don't look good through any of the gospel accounts. They abandon Jesus. They deny Jesus. Thomas, after Jesus is resurrected, he still doesn't believe in Jesus until he puts his fingers in the holes of the wounds of Jesus. These details are embarrassing to them. They don't make them look good. And the fifth reason I would say that the uh, that the, um, the res- that supports the resurrection of Jesus is because of the growth of the early church. The people in the early church believed so passionately that the resurrection of Jesus was true and the church grew at an astonishing rate. And any one of these people could have gone to the disciples and asked them, did Jesus really rise again from the dead? And they could have had their questions answered. So did Jesus rise from the dead? What's the answer for that? I'd say, yes, good job. Amen. You have to answer that for, for yourself. You have to be able to answer that question if Jesus did rise from the dead. And this is as I said at the start of our time together. This is the most important question that you can possibly ask because if he did rise from the dead, this changes everything. Now, you are not going to get a video recording of the resurrection of Jesus. That is just not going to happen. But what you do have is four separate accounts in Scripture, these historical narratives of the resurrection of Jesus that hold up to the harshest scrutiny that will come against them. We don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it makes us feel good, but because we believe that it's true. We believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Can someone say amen? Amen. Praise God. And if this morning you believe that it is true, then the next, and you haven't yet placed your trust in Jesus, 
then that is the next step for you to make. Jesus, throughout his teaching and his life here on earth, there was a phrase that he said about himself. He said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. He is the way. The only way to be free from sin and to know God is through placing your trust in him. He is the truth. What we believe about Jesus isn't based on feelings, but it's based on truth. He is the life. Because Jesus rose again to new life, one day every single person who knows Jesus will be raised again to a new, eternal, perfect life with our amazing God. And all that you have to do, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, is these three things. Firstly, A, you need to admit. You need to admit your sin and how you've turned away from an almighty God. B, you need to believe in Jesus. You don't just need to believe the facts about him, but you need to place your life in his hands. Believe in him. And you need to receive the life that he is now going to offer you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And to know this, all you need to do is admit, believe, and receive. The resurrection of Jesus means that you can have uh, new life. And if you are a Christian uh, here today, this morning, or joining with us online, you can be so confident in the new life that you have. Because what we believe isn't a myth or a legend. It is something that really happened. The resurrection of Jesus really did happen 2,000 years ago, and it is still impacting people's lives around the world today. And so we're going to stand and celebrate. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Cass is going to come up uh, after uh, one of these songs, and we're going to um, have a real celebration, celebrating that Jesus is alive. So why don't we stand to our feet, and let's just pray to God right now. Our King, risen, saving Jesus. We thank you that you are true, that you truly did rise again from the dead 2,000 years ago, and that you are still impacting lives here today. And God, I really pray right now that if anyone has come here today who has been doubting whether or not Jesus really did rise again from the dead, would you show them that this did happen? It was true. It was the greatest moment, the greatest miracle in all of history. When the grave was conquered, when sin was defeated, and we were offered new life through relationship with you. And Lord, for all of us who do have this relationship with you, would you bring joy to our hearts once again, knowing that we have an eternity that we will spend with you, that we will be raised to new life because Christ was raised to new life. This living hope, this eternal hope that we have because of what you have done for us. So we give you praise, King Jesus. We give you honour, King Jesus. 
We acknowledge you as king over our lives and king over this church because of what you have done through your death and resurrection. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.